All right. Thank you so much, worship team. My goodness. What a blessing to get together and sing truth. Amen? Amen. And to sing it beautifully. I love that. Um, well, uh, my name is Jeff. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, just let me know. If I got a maneuver, I'll just keep talking. Um, and, uh, and as you heard from Haley, we've been, we've been uh, focusing on this letter to uh, a group of new Christians in a city called Colossae. The letter is called Colossians. Pretty awesome. Yep, super creative of those original letter titling people. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to his Colossian friends who were a young, exciting community of Christian faith. A lot like CCF, right? And uh, he was talking, and he writes, in this letter, he writes about what it means to have a rooted faith. Because that's what we want for our community. Amen? Whether, whether you're a decided Christian or you're just checking Jesus out tonight, we care about your faith journey right now, but we care just as much about your faith after you graduate. Because this following Jesus thing is for life, right? So we hope that while we're together, while you're in college, that we can help each other put down solid roots, stabilizing roots, that will keep you following Jesus your whole life. We've covered a lot of good ground in the letter so far. And uh, tonight, we're going to spend some time in chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So I'm going to invite my man Wilson up. Bro, you s- <laughs> he's going to read for us. You sat in the very middle of the back. <laughs> Goofball. This is Wilson, everybody. Hello. He's going to read the text for us tonight. Thank you so much. Next time, pick an aisle. Yeah, sure. Uh, (laughs) Hello. I'm going to be reading some scripture for you guys, so get ready for it. (laughs) Um, Colossians 2, 6 to 10. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Thank you. There's our, our theme verses in there, right? Rooted. You guys see that in there? We've got it up on the walls. Thanks to Anastasia. Did you guys see this thing the last couple of weeks? Yeah, right here. Thanks, Anastasia, for giving us your gifts. That's what our series is all about. How to put down thick, sturdy roots in Jesus that will last you for the rest of your life. And Paul writes, at this point in the letter, that a critical part of being rooted and built up in Jesus is having those roots strengthened in the faith we're being taught. The way to do that is to see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's what we're going to zoom in on tonight. That phrase, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. If you want a rooted faith, if you want a sturdy faith, if you want a faith that can bear fruit for the rest of your life, because remember, a rooted faith is a fruited faith. Yes, yes, yes. It's so good. It's so cheesy, but it's so good. That's why you remember it. It works. Um, then what you're going to have to do is to see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So, let's define some terms. 
Um, from what we can gather about the Colossian cultural context, when Paul says philosophy, he's likely referring to kind of the leading ideas of his day. He's talking about the Colossian worldview, uh, kind of like generally accepted cultural beliefs. And what Paul says to the Colossians is that there are cultural assumptions out there, there are philosophies that are not neutral. For some of them, you got to watch out. Now, from other writings in the New Testament, we know that Paul is a big fan of culture. He likes Greek poetry. He likes Greek theater. He would have loved Infinity War. And he'd be dying for, the ne- for when the next one comes out and answers all our questions. Hashtag no spoilers. Nobody's saying anything. Some of you haven't seen it yet. Go see it quick. I'm about to tell you everything happens. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was totally cool with being up to speed with the art and culture and ideas of his day. But, now you're all talking about Infinity War. That was a mistake. But he also knew that there were philosophies of his day, generally accepted cultural assumptions that capture people. Remember, he's writing to a young Christian community in a pretty diverse crossroads of thoughts and ideas. It's a lot like a university. And in that multiplicity of perspectives, Paul says there are actually worldviews out there in Colossae and here at Western. There are common things people believe, even without realizing it, that can trap us, that can keep us from being free, that could oppress us and even ruin us. And they'll rip up the roots of our faith that are just starting to grow in college. Paul calls them hollow and deceptive. Which means the dangerous ones are not obvious. That's why they're deceptive. Right? But they do end up being unreliable. That's why they're hollow. There are things that you and I might hear that are generally accepted cultural assumptions, philosophies of our day. And we might think, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's true. And it looks all right on the outside. It appears solid. But when you try to build your life on it, or when any of the real pressures of life come down on it, it just crunches. It just collapses. Can't hold weight. Some things that are popular to believe in our culture here at Western Washington University are actually hollow and deceptive. So, Paul says we have to be good cultural analysts. So we can identify the cultural assumptions around us and see which ones might be poisonous to our young roots of faith. Now, because our hope is, to, is for your long-term faith, one sermon on a Friday night is not going to equip you with everything you need to analyze the culture for yourself for life, right? You're not going to get safe from faith-poison philosophies from one sermon. I wish. That'd be great. But because of that, I encourage you. I can't encourage you enough. Go read. Go read for the rest of your life. Read about culture. Read about the philosophies you're living in and around. Talk about it with your friends so that you can equip yourself for life 
with tools that will keep you from being captured by hollow and deceptive ideas. I want to give you two recommendations to start you off with. If you're, if you're interested in being a cultural analyst, like Paul tells us to be, here's two books that would be a great place to start that have been really helpful for, for, for my thinking. Is Reality Secular? by Dr. Mary Poplin. She's actually come and spoke here before in years past. She's great. And another book called Marching Off the Map by Tim Elmore. Those would be two places you could start that would be really culturally accessible and really helpful. And these books opened my eyes, what's in these books opened my eyes to some hollow and deceptive philosophies that we need to name tonight and to watch out for because they're popular even if you don't realize it, but they're poisonous to our roots in Jesus. They're popular, but they're poisonous to our roots in Jesus. Okay, you ready? All right, let's go. Here's our first one. Morality has shifted since I was in college. What people are willing to call right and wrong is different than when I was a student at Western in the early 2000s. It's not worse. Actually, I think it's a little better. But it's more challenging. I think it's actually harder for you than it was for me to take a moral stand on some things. Here's what I mean. When I was in college, the philosophy of the day was everything's cool. Just don't hurt anyone. Don't be an extremist. That's what people believed at Western. So I could walk into Red Square as a student in the spring sunshine, which we all love, Although it was cloudy today, the sun's coming back, I hope, pray. I could walk out in the spring sunshine in the Red Square and start a conversation with somebody about Jesus. And I could share the whole good news about how wrecked humanity is, how Jesus offers the only hope of a solution, and how we need to let him be in charge of our lives and let him clean us up so that everything can be right in the world again someday. I could go cover to cover with somebody. And the guy I'm talking to would say, man, that is beautiful. That is so true. I love that. And I would say, great. So, so do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to become a Christian, a Christ follower? And he'd say, nah, man, that's cool. I'm glad that's working for you, though, but that's not my thing. And I'd be like, but, but you just said it was, it was true. Said, oh, yeah, man, true for you. But that's not true for me. And I'd be like, uh, well, um, let's see. Uh, so what, but what you believe and what I believe can't both be true at the same time because you and I believe contradictory things. And he would say, that's fine. As long as everybody gets along, we're good. Do you see how hard it was to bring people to Jesus? That was my day. But it's changed now. And it changed fast. And I'm not saying it's good or bad yet. It's just different. Although I guess I did kind of say it's better now. Whatever. It's different. You all have grown up in a post-9-11 world. You, were bo- you have been born, raised, and educated in a country where publicized school shootings happen regularly. How many of you did in-school shooter drills in elementary school? Raise your hands really high. Look at that. Never even heard of those when I was in school. Things are different. You have access to news about global terrorism on a regular basis that only the relatively recent 24-hour digital news cycle could have made possible. 
You've seen racism on a media scale unparalleled in our country. Even in the civil rights movement, it was hard to get footage of racism in action. Now it's on Twitter almost as soon as it happens. That means that you have grown up in a culture where the motto that everything's cool is not actually cool. You know, you all have grown up in a culture where you know that some ideas have consequences. You are up close and personal with evil in a way that only social media can make possible, right? So things have changed since I was a student. No longer is morality relative. Whatever you believe is cool, man, just don't mess me up. Now, hallelujah, morality has some structure again. There are things that people can say, no, that is evil. That should never happen again in popular culture. And that's a good development. Amen? That's good news. So where's the poison? Where's, what's hollow and deceptive about that? Sure, there are new structures for morality. Yes, there are new boundaries for what's right and wrong. But where do those boundaries come from? What is the new standard of morality in our culture? Here's what I've learned. Social media is the new judge of what's right and wrong. Think about it. People take moral stands these days. Hallelujah. But what if that moral stand is unpopular online? What if that moral stand is countercultural? How long does it take social media trolls or even people you thought were your friends to rip you to shreds online for having a conviction that isn't popular? Or how quick are people to like a post or write a status update or vilify a public figure online if they know that that's what's most popular to think in their social media circle? Here's the shift in morality today. People your age are largely only comfortable taking moral stands on whatever wouldn't get them in trouble on social media. Think about that. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and just talk to each other for a minute. I want you to talk to them. Why do you think that might be poisonous to a life of following Jesus? Whether you're a Christian or not, why do you think this new social media morality would threaten someone's ability to obey Jesus for life? Go ahead. Talk to each other about that. What do you think? Ready? Okay. Let's pull it back. Let's pull it back. I would love to hear from a couple of you. What did you guys say? What did you guys come up with? What's poisonous about a social media morality? Yeah. Our fear of God is replaced by a fear of man. Ooh, that'll preach. Yeah. It's a good word. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do they call that when, it's, when all you're hearing is your own voice? An echo chamber, right? You, you surround yourself on social media with people who already kind of agree with you, if you're not careful. And so you, the ideas that spin around there end up being like, oh yeah, this must be true because everybody thinks this. No, just your circle thinks this, right? So here, here's, here's the thing. How can we follow Jesus 
If we're called to communicate things publicly, that might get us vilified on social media. In this, in this new philosophy. With this new philosophy in place. Now, I do not mean that the solution is to post everything you believe about Jesus and politics and sex and life on Facebook and tweet about every conviction you have or anything like that. Please don't do that. <laughs> Jeff said, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I don't know how many of you tweet like this. <laughs> I think social media is a functional tool. Social media is a functional tool. It does some things well and some things very poorly. For example, having a reasonable conversation. 90% of conversations I see online, I'm like, well, that's an interesting question. Whoa, that went sideways fast. <laughs> right? It's crazy. It's crazy. So just, just be careful, right? But here's my point. Here's my point. We have to be aware of the philosophy of our day, what we're being asked to swallow, what we're being asked to believe, the kind of the culture that we're just swimming in without realizing it. You've got to be aware of this stuff. You have to be aware. We might be unconsciously deciding what's right and wrong based on whatever won't get us publicly shamed online. But following Jesus is following. It means letting Jesus lead it means obeying Jesus. It means letting Jesus decide what's right and wrong. It means letting Jesus shape our morals. The online mob morality of our day is poison to our roots in Jesus. We have got to watch out for it. If we want to be rooted, we've got to watch out for this common philosophy. And again, it's not like someone said, yeah, that's the way it is. It's just kind of, that's kind of how we operate, Right? You gotta watch out. Let's look at another one. And again, these come from reading and resourcing other staff folks and talking with some of you. I didn't realize this stuff all by myself, okay? So if you want to put down good roots for your life and understanding culture, you gotta read, you gotta learn, talk to people about it, okay? Can't say that enough. Don't just buy what I'm saying, go find out for yourself. Here's another philosophy of our day If my situation makes me feel unsafe or uncomfortable, I need to change my situation. There's a lot of important conversations happening right now, especially at universities, about safe spaces, trigger warnings, and making sure everyone feels comfortable in their learning environment, right? And that's good. Those are important conversations to have. But how might that be dangerous in following Jesus? If my situation makes me feel unsafe or uncomfortable, I need to change my situation. I want you to talk to each other again. How might that be poisonous to following Jesus for the rest of your life? Go ahead and talk again. All right. Okay, a couple more people. What did you say? We heard from two people in the, in the center section. Let's hear from one each side. Yeah, what's dangerous about this? Yeah. Persecution is not super safe, especially Paul's kind of persecution, right? We read about what happened to him. He goes through that like laundry list of, oh yeah, I've been this, and I've been this, and I've been this. Basically, it's like, I almost died 17 times, right? Yeah, that's not very safe. Amen. This side of the room, what, what, what's poisonous about this idea to our faith? 
Two people. Yeah. We'll do two. Come on. That's right. Sorry, what's your name? Sam. Sam, hi. You read my notes. That's pretty cool. <laughs> right on. And the other Sam, what did you say? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yep. Um, let's talk about this. Uh, now, for one thing, the language is tricky in this conversation, right? The scale of what safety means ha- has been radically widening in recent years, hasn't it? The, the term of, of the idea of being safe, right? The term safety on our campus has come to include everything from safety from violence actual threat of violence, to safety, meaning just safety from feeling uncomfortable, right? The spectrum is quite wide. The, umbre- the term is umbrella significantly, right? So while Jesus might say that some of that is really good and healthy, like if you're in an abusive relationship, you have every right to get out of that. Change your situation, yes. For sure Jesus would say that. But that's not what most people are talking about when they elevate safety as the most important part of life, is it? People usually just mean comfort. Lots of people are asserting that we have a right to never be uncomfortable in any way. And whether whether you follow Jesus or not, you see how that's terrible for education, right? Learning is inherently discomforting. It shakes us up. It changes our mind. It tells us we're wrong. It tells us, ah, there's things for you to learn, right? And when you translate this into following Jesus, discipleship is inherently a learning environment. That's what discipleship is, following Jesus. It's inherently a learning environment. So if you read the Gospels, Jesus is not a safe teacher by cultural standards, by the cultural definition of safe. He tells me I'm wrong. He tells me I'm wicked. He tells me my friends are wicked and need to be saved. Right? That ain't safe. If the philosophy of our day says, if my situation situation makes me feel unsafe or uncomfortable, I need to change my situation, how are we going to follow Jesus? Jesus, in every calling story, Jesus says, Come follow me. And it costs them something, right? How are we going, this is what Sam said, how are we going to reach out to people who aren't like us, which can be very uncomfortable, right? If all I do is make friends with people I already feel safe with, guess what? My friends are going to look like and act like just like me. And I create this safe bubble and I build walls to keep safe people around me. Right? If safety is our highest value, 
then who is going to obey Jesus and go overseas as a single woman to Sri Lanka and start an orphanage right out of college like our CCF alum, Therese Kulmer, did? What year, Brady? When did she go? Long time ago. <laughs> Seriously, she was in a worship service. She heard God drop the name Sri Lanka in her mind. She was new to faith. She didn't know where Sri Lanka was. She came to Brady and said, where's Sri Lanka? I think I'm supposed to go there. After she graduated, a single, as a single woman, she went to Sri Lanka by herself. And said, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do here? She started an orphanage. She now runs the majority child care system on the southern half of the, of, of the island of Sri Lanka. So safe. Yes, please. Yeah. Amen. If our highest value is not feeling uncomfortable, how are we going to stay married? We done. That's it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do you see why this is hollow and deceptive? This will wreck your life. This will ruin your life. At first you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Until your marriage falls apart because you or your spouse don't want to be uncomfortable. Even though a marriage requires two people willing to sacrifice for each other. This philosophy will ruin your life and it will wreck your faith. Because if safety had been Jesus' highest value, he would never have let himself get crucified. So why should we take up our cross and follow him daily if safety is our highest value? Let's do one more. This one's related to the other two. See you, Jackson. <laughs> But this one's sneakier. This one's sneakier. Our world is desperate for reality. People just want to know what's true, right? That's why everyone's so confused by the news. What's real? What actually happened? Can I trust this source? Which news channel of the 27 is actually telling the truth? You ever notice that? You watch two news channels and you're like... Those stories are really different. But they're talking about the same thing. And that's true across the board. When it comes to what's real, what's true, what's actually the case in anything, who can I trust? Who can I rely on to figure out right and wrong? How should I figure out how to live? How do I make a decision about what I'm going to do after college? Who gets to decide who I marry? The answer to all those questions, our culture says, is you. You do. You get to decide. You get to decide who you are. No one else can tell you that. You get to figure it out for yourself. You get to decide what you value, how you behave, who you prefer to have sex with, who you want, how you want to spend your money, what you want to major in, and no one has the right to tell you those things except you. And if there's anything you don't know, you can just Google it. Right? You get to make the final decision on all those things, which means you are responsible for deciding your own reality. 
Now, here's the deal. I really get this. I think it's a really confusing time to be alive right now in our culture. Our moral heroes are disappointing us, aren't they? People we thought we could trust are dropping like flies. The same is true with institutions. The government's not reliable. Law enforcement is raising all kinds of questions. Right now, now even the church in America doesn't seem reliable. Is the Bible reliable? Yeah. But whose version? Which translation? Whose interpretation? Are my friends reliable? Maybe. But they'll disappoint you too because they're as fallible as you are. How about scientific study? Can science tell us the truth? Absolutely. But it can only tell us the truth about material reality. What about the rest of reality that you can't measure or put in a beaker? And sure, science can tell us how a gun works, but it can't answer the question, should I shoot someone with it? So science is helpful in determining some of reality, but it can't answer the most important questions. So I guess it is up to you and to me. You have to do the best you can with what you've got to figure out all this stuff out. You have to do your best to be the final say in what's real. That's what the culture says. It's one of the leading philosophies of our day. And here's why it's poison. That philosophy tells you that you are a creator, not a created one. This hollow and deceptive philosophy says you are gods, not creatures. And it's a lie from hell. It's meant to destroy you and to destroy me, but people believe it every day. Let's look at the end of this section in Paul's letter. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. I want you to know tonight that there is great peace in not having to be a God. There is great joy in getting to be a creature and letting Jesus be God. Jesus is the fullness of God packaged for us in a way we can understand. Showing us what God is like in human form. Making himself accessible to us like no other God has. Hallelujah, Jesus! And over every other source of reliability, up against every other competing source for truth and authority, Jesus stands above them. Jesus delights to tell you the truth. He delights to give you answers, to comfort you, to be the authority in your life that you have been craving. craving. It's chaos in our culture. People don't know what to believe or why or who they are or who can tell them. Jesus says, I would love to tell you who you are because I know. 
I stand above it all. I have the maximum bird's eye view. I see everything. I know all that's true. I saw every event that happened. Come to me and I will tell you what's real. I am the highest power and authority on reality. And I promise I'm also a communicator. I want to tell you what I'm like. I want to tell you who you are. And I want to tell you and show you what life is really like. Jesus delights to tell you the truth. He loves it. He delights to give you answers, to comfort you, to be the authority in your life that we have been craving in our desperate attempts to be God's. Jesus wants to free you and me from having to be our own source of reality, from the exhausting and impossible work of creating our own realities from our fallen and finite vantage points. If you are looking for fullness, if you are looking for wholeness, if you are looking for completeness, fulfilledness, there is only one who can give it to you. Only in Christ can you be brought to fullness. And if you want to be rooted in the midst of a competitive worldview culture, follow Jesus. Ask him, look to him, read about him, talk about him with your friends. Ask your questions. Let him lead you. Keep letting him be your Lord. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And he will deliver you from hollow and deceptive philosophies so that you may be rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you are being taught. As the worship team comes up, I've asked Brady to pray for us. One of the great advantages of having Brady as our director is that we get to have someone who has watched the culture change in front of him. And for all his years in campus ministry, he has been a voice of faithfulness to Jesus. You want to know a rooted faith? Have a conversation with Brady and with Shirley and with Julie. So who better to pray for us in response to these truths than our local father in the faith. Thanks, Brady.